today on Agnus Daily. We actually have, within our program, we have a, a three-year descending cost share. So the first year a farmer signs up, they get $25 an acre for cover crops. Uh, the next year is 15 and the, next, and the third year is 10 Welcome back to a Friday edition of the Agnews Daily Podcast. Friday, December 16th, brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a full look at their total lineup of great lubes, visit mysticlubes.com, M-Y-S-T-I-K, lubes.com. Tanner and Delaney here again on the Friday edition. How's Delaney doing? Ready for the weekend? I certainly am, Tanner. It's almost Christmas. Well, almost, yes. It's Do you have all your Christmas shopping done? Oh, yeah. I have a fantastic wife that handles a lot of that. I just get to focus on taking care of her. Okay. You have to get her something nice. That's the important part. Yeah, absolutely. It's already done. It's already wrapped up and hidden from her because she's one of those that will try to sneakily unwrap the present Mm -hmm. before Christmas and figure out what it is. So uh, it takes a lot of strategy. I like it. I like her strategy. (laughs) It's annoying. It's Just hard wait. though. It's hard Just to purchase gifts for your spouse because Blaine and I don't have any children yet, obviously. And we are both, we both work from home. We both know what the other person wants. It's not like it's a surprise. Well, you got to try harder. I guess. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, who really will be trying hard is our friends up in the Dakotas. They're still getting snow today and ice is covering much of their state especially south dakota they're projected to possibly get another four inches of snow in central south dakota today along with wind gusts of up to 45 miles per hour blizzard warnings will still remain in effect for most of south dakota north dakota and plenty of counties in northern nebraska as well as parts of southern minnesota here in iowa though delaney we are just going to get maybe an extra dusting this afternoon but our roads are expected to be slippery and potential wind gusts could bring down tree branches that are already ice covered in Northern Iowa. And then we all look forward to a reminder of the potential minus degree feel temperatures next week during our Arctic chill cold blast that will hit much of the Midwest. We're looking forward to that. Is that what you just said? (laughs) Trying to spice up a Friday episode here. Oh. got to put a positive spin on as much as we can right that's I suppose so <laughs> well I'm not sure this is a positive spin but Brazil's audit of JBS found that 17% of the cattle bought by JBS came from what they're calling irregular ranches Tanner nearly 17% of these cattle in Brazil's Para state in the Amazon rainforest, allegedly came from ranches with irregularities such as illegal deforestation, according to an audit by the federal prosecutors released on Thursday. The audit examined cattle purchased between the years of July 2019 and June 2020 and said that the world's largest meat packer allegedly bought about 93,734 head from these irregular ranches. Overall, it said the audit found about 136,000 irregular cattle purchases by JBS and other unlisted meat packers that operate in the same region there in Para. Again, don't have a really good definition of what irregular ranches mean, aside from potentially illegal ranches that either um, converted forest ground into cattle ranching ground or were 
just going ahead and having the cattle ranch on this ground anyways, graze on this ground that was that is protected by uh, some of their rainforest legislation, Tanner. Yeah, I wondered if it was, you know, like for us to compare it in the U.S. would probably be like a permitting issue. But if that's the case, then this is an irregular podcast and we would probably get along. But nonetheless, <laughs> still making a headline. CoBank sent out their 2023 projections report and says there's going to be 11 sectors that might have a negative impact on the rural economy. Well, first of all, we start off with global economy. Dan Kowalowski hopefully pronounced that right, is uh, the gentleman that released the report for CoBank. He stated here, global economy, said after two years of defined strong economic growth rebound after a pandemic, he expects the economy to sputter in 23. He then specifically got down to the U.S. economy and said as financial conditions continue to tighten, we would expect to see the economy soften, not recession necessarily, but it will soften. So maybe not see as many gains as we did in the past. He also hit on monetary policy. Obviously, we are going to continue to see Fed rate hikes, but he put a projection in that Fed hikes would pause at 5.5% was his projection coming out of CoBank. So the direction of the U.S. government will be and have an effect. Obviously, we know the farm bill is coming up for reauthorization. As you continue to look at the biofuel sector, he then talked about animal protein sector, the dairy industry. The one that I thought was interesting was their take on specialty crops. Stated here, the specialty crop growers and processors will face headwinds in 23. And most of that is due to the costs of water and labor, followed by fertilizer. So I hadn't put two and two together until reading this article, Delaney, but uh, a lot of those specialty crops are water intensive. And that could play an effect on them. And lastly, it came down to rural infrastructure in two different categories, uh, electricity and communication. So the current energy crisis surfacing provides insight as to some of these age old lines that might need to be replaced. So we're looking here as energy dependence becomes stronger, we may need to boost our infrastructure on the electricity side and communications. Obviously, we've had discussion about high speed Internet in rural communities for quite a while. But those are the 11 sectors that the CoBank executives feel like they may have a negative impact on agriculture. So hopefully not all of those hit at once and we can continue to see some positive movements here in ag. Well, Tanner, uh, speaking of electricity, of course, we saw Ukraine out of electricity in a lot of key areas after a Russian strike last weekend. We did get word that Odessa is back up and running. Don't know if it's in full capacity yet, but they have been able to get some grain exports out of the Black Sea ports there. We also saw word that the Ukrainian Grain Traders Union, which from what I can tell, Tanner, is kind of similar to a commodity organization. They have asked the government to give priority of electricity that they do have since supplies are limited to grain silos to prevent damage to harvest that was just picked. Russia, as we know, had that missile strike last weekend and then again another one in October, and that has really limited the availability of electricity in the country of Ukraine. And so the Ukrainian Grain Association, excuse me, Ukrainian Grain Traders Union has asked the country specifically to support electricity going to grain harvesting and storage facilities because they said otherwise that will threaten 
and could lead to grain storage, which could threaten the country's food security as well as exports. And that's something they certainly can't have right now, Tanner. Yeah, that was something else that Peter Zion said in uh, that presentation I heard on Wednesday around the the quality of grain that we all know here in the Midwest that, you know, dependent upon the moisture of your corn and soybeans and wheat, you may have to run fans. Well, you can't run fans without electricity. But Mm -hmm. just to to touch on that, it's not a headline, but to reflect on another piece out of his presentation was that Nord Stream 1 pipeline that got ruptured earlier this year. Was it, you know, about 40 to 45 percent of the natural gas supply line for Germany and stated that Germany is having a really hard time replenishing that volume, you know, trying to source it from a lot of different other sources and are starting to slow down the manufacturing sector and prioritizing their natural gas resources to, you know, making sure that they don't freeze uh, during the winter. Thankfully, it's been mild so far, but that's probably a headline that I would expect to see surfacing here if things get a little worse. But before I get into my next story, let's pause here for a message from our sponsor today. Dependent upon the moisture of your corn and soybeans and wheat, you may have to run fans. Well, you can't run fans without electricity. But Mm -hmm. just to to touch on that, it's not a headline, but to reflect on another piece out of his presentation was that Nord Stream 1 pipeline that got ruptured earlier this year. Was it, you know, about 40 to 45% of the natural gas supply line for Germany and stated that Germany is having a really hard time replenishing that volume, you know, trying to source it from a lot of different other sources and are starting to slow down the manufacturing sector and prioritizing their natural gas resources to, you know, making sure that they don't freeze uh, during the winter. Thankfully, it's been mild so far, but that's probably a headline that I would expect to see surfacing here if things get a little worse. But before I get into my next story, let's pause here for a message from our sponsor today. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, Delaney, as we come back inside the borders of the United States and over to Indiana, Bungie has reported that they plan to build a $550 million soy processing plant. Ag commodities trader Bungie LTD said on Thursday that this facility will be right next door to an existing one. And the investment is part of a broader U.S. expansion of oilseed processing capacity as the demand for food, animal feed and vegetable oils are continuing to rise. They did state that the vegetable oils used for producing renewable fuels will be an option coming out of this plant, but that's the existing use of their site. They said right now it's meat alternatives, demand is soaring, and dietary habits are shifting for health reasons out of the concern for animal welfare and the environmental damage to livestock. So they're seeing demand increase in meat alternative products. Soy protein has now become a concentrated use for making meat alternatives, and it will help increase the nutritional value in existing meat and poultry products. So this global plant-based meat market is going to potentially provide them with a $24.8 billion revenue bump by 2030. They have this type of a plant in Bellevue, Ohio, that it will be modeled after 
but is going to be put in Morristown, Indiana right now, and will process an additional 4.5 million bushels of soybeans. Construction is slated to start here first quarter of 2023 and should be up and running by the middle of 2025. And like I said, it's a big investment here in the Midwest, but it's interesting to see the reasons why they feel that the demand is there and it is more in plant-based food products. Well, Tanner, you know, China is definitely a big consumer of plant-based soy products, as well as a lot of countries in that area. But China has updated their production estimates for 2022. And according to Reuters, the official Chinese government report that came out on December 12th, which we're going to take here with a grain of salt, uh, shared that China's soybean production for the 2022 year actually increased by 24%. And they said that that increase came because China has continued to emphasize building up their own internal domestic soybean output as well as storage so that they can be less reliant on imports from countries like the United States, as well as Brazil. So, you know, you talk uh, export sales with market analysts coming up, Tanner, they might have an indication of how much really we could see this impact U.S. exports. Is this accurate or is this China sharing their own opinion of maybe something that's not quite 100% true? Right. Yeah. How much facts is in that? result. That's definitely something for us to pay attention to. Well, I've just got two quick headlines left here coming out of the White House, and then we can move on for today. But it looks like there is still a push to overhaul labor and uh, farm worker immigrant status, but it doesn't seem to be like a promising push. Bennett, a Democrat, has been pushing out of, uh, he's out of Colorado, his Affordable and Secure Food Act, the last and best chance to overhaul the H-2A program and deal with one of the biggest challenges facing fruit and vegetable growers, as well as livestock producers such as dairy farmers. He had been working on this with Republican Mike Crapo out of Idaho. However, Crapo is not backing this bill. So Congress will have the opportunity to see this and may take a look at it prior to the end of the session, but it doesn't seem like a positive uh, positive status for us to get something done here before the end of the year. But coming out of Washington, they did approve the new WRDA bill, which is the Water Resources Development Act that did get pushed through. And President Bill is expected, or President Joe Biden is expect, expected to sign that bill here in the next coming days. Senate voted 83 to 11 on that bill, which will put together a two-year reauthorization of the $38 billion within the annual $850 billion defense spending bill that will allow the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to work on projects such as ports, locks, dams, and dredging operations, which we know has become a big focus this year with the low water levels in our uh, rivers. The National Grain and Feed Association noticed that, wants to make note that the change is good, but otherwise there is some cost share formula adjustments within there that tweak the matching funds for lock and dam projects down from 50% to 35%. But other than that, it seems like a positive move here and a good quick renewal before the end of the year, Delaney. It certainly does, Tanner. I think you took my last headline, so I don't really have any other news to hit on today. How about you? That's all I've got, and that's a good job. Two days in a row taking stories away from Delaney. I must be on 
the right track, but I tell you who is on the right track is our sponsor for today. So let's take one more message from them. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. Well, dinners, we take a look at the overnight markets here. Pretty flat again, heading into Friday's opening session. March corn unchanged in the overnight will open at 6.53 and a half. New crop 23 December corn will open three quarters of a cent lower at 5.97 and a quarter. March soybeans up a penny and a quarter in the overnight, opening at 14.78. November soybeans will open this morning at 13.84, down four cents in the overnight. March Chicago wheat will open at 7.56 and a quarter. March hard red winter wheat will open at 8.58 and a quarter, both lower in the overnights. And as we take a look here to look at livestock and where they ended yesterday, mostly in the red, February live cattle down 85 cents yesterday. We'll open at a buck 54.85. January feeders will open this morning at $1.8305. And February lean hawks opening here at 81.65. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to talking sustainability part two with a few commodity groups uh, from NAFB. Smart commodity grants with, you know, Farmers for Soil Health getting one of those. I know that those grants, that's only just a piece of what the Biden administration is doing when it comes to uh, climate change and sustainability discussions in Washington, D.C. How does NCGA interpret it rather interpret the climate smart policy coming out of this administration and what that means, you know, in addition to what we've already talked about through this grant program? Um, Well, we knew uh, when this administration came in uh, that they were going to have a focus on the environment. Um, And they've really, I think, (laughs) delivered uh, in certain regards uh, the resources that folks in our uh, uh, area of, of work in sustainability and conservation have been asking for. It's always been wow, if we just had resources, we could do this. Well, we have got the Climate Smart uh, grants that have been executed. Then we also have uh, the, 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 the dollars that were earmarked within the Inflation Reduction Act uh, focused on uh, some of the current uh, conservation programs already being executed by USDA. Uh, so to that end, wow, we've got a lot of responsibility here because we have a lot of resources. Uh, and it's up to us to execute and, and, and walk the walk of saying, if we're going to be environmentally responsible, we need the resources. Uh, we don't need the regulation. We can do it ourselves. Well, we've got the re- we've got the resources, so it's time for us to do it ourselves. Yeah, thank you for that. Now I'm going to transition over here to Jack for a little bit. Jack, we've talked a little bit about that Farmers for Soil Health initiative. Um, I wondered, but I'm going to continue to move here. We talked about cover crops being a big part of that, and I wondered if you could elaborate how cover crops and sustainable farming practices um, are really helping U.S. U.S. soybean farmers and all all farmers. Why why focus in on that cover crop piece? Yeah, so cover crops were a key piece for us to create a metric around what we were trying to achieve. Um, but like Nathan said, you know, cover crops are are, are good, but it's not ultimately what we're trying to drive for for our key of our program. Our key of our program is really to drive sustainability across the entire farm network and across operations across the entire United States. And because we want to build in resiliency uh, for farms, 
that we want to make sure that we preserve that generational approach to farmland, right, so that the next generation of farmers have farmland to, to raise commodities on. Um, you know, and, and so it's kind of – it was an – it was a great metric for us to go for to achieve, but really it's just um, – it's kind of just really kind of a, a metric goal that we're really going after, but it's not necessarily the ultimate goal of our program. It's really just, um, you know, we want to provide additional funds, and, and this was a way uh, with the commodity groups getting together and putting in for this grant, you know, we saw ourselves as the ultimate stewards of some of this climate smart funding because, you know, the – the commodity groups sitting here are not getting any of the overhead costs or we're not getting anything on overhead for these grants. You know, we're contributing these, all this $95 million is, is going directly to farmer programming or farmers. Um, and that was really important to us. And so, you know, we really want to drive home that, you know, we're trying to get this uh, funding to the farm level to where stewardship and, and a lot of this, these conservation efforts are happening. How does farmer? How do you get farmers to be involved in something like this? How do you get them on board? Yeah, so uh, our approach is really creating a platform for helping to farmers to increase their profitability on the farm by creating a, a platform where they can sm sell commodities raised under certain practices to, um, and then bring buyers on the back end to, that want to buy commodities raised under certain practices. So you have to work both ends of the chain there, right? And we have partners that are doing that. Uh, another key piece for us is to build in the technical support piece by working with state commodity groups. So state commodity groups are going to be a real key component for us uh, to implementing our plan because, you know, they're the ones that can work more individually with farmers at a state level. I mean, we will work also at a, at a national level to recruit farmers for this program. But really, and then the other really great pieces is a lot of the states themselves were saying, hey, we would like some additional funding because we know what programs work in our state. Um, we would like some additional funds. And this is a way that we can do both things with getting more farmers in, in, engaged in the, in the sustainability uh, mindset to move their operations towards that, and then also enhancing state commodity group programs. How do the cost share pr the payments work for this program? How do you see that? unfolding yeah so we actually have within our program we have a, a three-year descending cost share so the first year a farmer signs up they get $25 an acre for cover crops uh, the next year is 15 and, the, and the third year is 10 and so uh, and that's for additionality so that was a, a key component uh, we also have two dollars uh, for existing uh, cover crops grown on an acre so we're still giving some of the some funds to growers that have been doing it for a long time but additionality, we understand, does not work for all farmers, right? So we want to also reward the farmers that have been doing these things for a long time. And the, the key piece for them is for us to really build out this platform so that they can sell commodities. So, and under that program, it does not matter how many years you've been growing cover crops. You know, you're, you're uh, just selling those commodities for, for that year to a, a buyer that wants commodities raised under those practices. It is a practice-based uh, marketplace, not a outcomes-based. The Soil Health Initiative, what's the timeline to, to unroll all this and, and get this up and going? That's a great question. So <laughs> we are negotiating uh, to get the contract signed. Um, so, you know, um, and 
as you all know, this is a this is a new opportunity within the USDA. So they're still kind of backfilling and, and hiring people to help manage some of these grants and accounts. Um, and so hopefully, we're hoping by February, maybe early spring, we have a grant signed. Um, so that way we can start, because we really aren't technically allowed to do a lot of work until that is signed, right? We're not allowed to really spend any of our uh, co-funding dollars or anything until we get that signed. So it's really a lot of work to get that signed. But once that's signed, we're hoping then uh, summer, fall, we'll be signing up growers for this program. Thank you. I'm going to transition over to Ashley. Uh, Ashley, um, how can pork producers improve sustainability metrics in the barn? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, I already mentioned um, majority of, of pork producers also have row crop ground. So a lot of the, the efforts that Jack, Jack talked about are, are applicable. Um, but, of course, we also have barns with the animals, right? And, 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 I, and I should back up and say that, you know, as pork producers, we, we came similar to, to what Nathan said, a 40% reduction goal by 2030 as far as greenhouse gas emissions goal. And we know that that the vast majority, or not the vast majority, 60% of our carbon footprint comes from the feed we feed our animals, right? So that's a logical place. So that's obviously provides the nexus of, of why we work so closely um, with our row crop friends. But, um, but additionally, we know there's, there's vast opportunities within the barn as well. Um, it, whether it's simple things like LED lighting um, or sensors or um, genetics and animal health products. Um, one of the things that, that I'm very adamant about talking about is, um, and, I, and I think everybody in this room can, can help with this, um, is that practices that keep the animals healthier, practices that improve feed efficiency, um, practices that cut down on water leaks by, you know, like water meters, those are all sustainability practices, um, but we have not gotten that recognized, you know, throughout our industries, you know, from, from the producer up. Uh, we have never, we have always thought of those as production practices, which of course they are, but that is not separate from sustainability practices. And I, so I think recognizing that and, and coming together as an industry to know that when an animal health product is, you know, researched, which a ton of research goes into it, there has to be a greenhouse gas reduction piece to that research going into that product. I think we're there, right? We're there with, with so many of our allied industry members. Um, but we've got, um, we still have, you know, work to do. Uh, with our entire industry recognizing that all of those practices um, add up to improve sustainability. Um, and so, so just like in-field practices and being able to talk about those, quantify those, and then ultimately, as Jack said, market those and actually get a, a revenue stream back to producers um, is key. And, and pork producers can do that um, both in the field, but they can also do it in the barn with, with some of those practices I mentioned. But, but we've got to talk about it in terms of sustainability a little more than we probably ever have before, as otherwise the rest of the world's also not going to consider those sustainability practices. So some of these initiatives, it seems like it's, it's money coming in to encourage farmers who aren't already doing these things to start doing these things. But you know, I've lived, I'm back in Missouri, but in North Dakota, we've got a lot of farmers and ranchers that probably still need to implement cover crops, but there's quite a few that already do. 
So what, this is a question for all of you, or whoever wants to speak up and add to it, what, what, what is being done to recognize the work that's already been done, the practices that have already been in place for a long time, the people that may not be new to the game that are like way years ahead of, of others? Where's their role in this conversation? Yeah, well, I can start, and Jack, and I'll, okay, I'll reiterate some things that, that Jack said here, and then uh, and then add some maybe some new stuff here. But I, I think first of all, there there does has to be recognition because if we don't provide recognition for those early adopters and those who have um, been at the forefront of new practices, tested them, and and proven them out, then then they're not going to be uh, as apt to. Uh, to try out the next practice, right? We have to have them um, for that that learning curve, frankly. That's that's how we've always had it, and, and we have to have it. So there has to be some recognition. I think there's a ton of talk um, across a variety of programs about how to do that um, through creative financing, you know, through things like carbon markets and, and through, you know, and Jack mentioned it, in the marketplace that Farmers for Soil Health is building about being able to market those um, by by practice versus kind of that additional uh, or additionality requirement that's so prevalent in the traditional carbon markets. I, I also think we have to tap into them because, uh, you know, everyone in this room knows this, but, um, you know, farmers uh, are most apt to change practices when they have heard it from a neighbor or another peer. Peer-to-peer -peer learning is a huge um, a, a huge, you know, portion of our industry, and 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 so to to leave those early adopters behind is to leave your biggest and best spokespeople behind, um, and so we have to include them. We have to figure out a way to make them, and and I know, you know, Farmers for Soil Health has a, a farmer advisory um, council. Is that what we're calling it? Yep. Um, and to do just that, right? To to bring in those early adopters to be able to talk about what were the challenges they faced. What are some solutions to to overcoming that? So, if we have a yield loss for a number of years, what me, you know, what measures can we put in place to address that, right? And to fill that gap. And I think that's um, those are the solutions. And, and but we can't do that without those early adopters. So, sorry for just taking your words. Yeah. And well, I, I think <laughs> I think there's one thing too that that. Um, we're, if we think about early adopters, they're going to have a huge leg up, right, in this marketplace because, you know, their buyers are going to be looking for commodities raised under that are no-till and cover crops, right? And from the get-go, if you already know how to do that and do that on your operation, and you want to sell your commodities at a premium, you know, you have a huge leg up because now you're not sitting there thinking, how do I implement these things? What is that going to cost me? You already know. Right, and you can implement them, and you know how it's going to impact yield, and you know all these things, and you're going to have a huge leg up. They're going to have, um, you know, more opportunities to kind of be like, yes, I want to, I want to work with this platform where somebody that's also working on trying to figure out how to make it work on their operation, then also trying to figure out how to work with the with the marketplace. You know, you have the two things that you have to try to figure out. Where you know, if you already know how to do the one thing, you have a huge leg up. So it's going to be a great opportunity for them. Well, Tanner, that was another great conversation there from NAFB convention. We've got just a few more of those left to air, but we do have a few fun conversations coming up next week ahead of the Christmas season as well. 
That's right. We will be here for most of next week. So tune in and listen in. But for today and for this week, what do you say? Should you let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 